Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Hello. Been a bit of a busy week, uh, hanging around here, getting some stuff done. You took my truck in this week, got it fixed. That wasn't fun. Yeah, and maybe you can stop complaining about it now. No, I got another thing to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you weren't even in town to do anything this week. I was out of town. You were out of town. Before we talk town. about your out of towny stuff, yeah, uh, you sent me before you left. I think it was before you left. You sent me this thing about a tree. Yes, researchers in. Algonquin Park have discovered a 408-year-old tree in a stretch of old-growth forest. And it's a in an area that's unprotected from logging. Yeah, so it's in an area that uh, half of it is protected and half of it's not. Mm-hmm. This is, it's, uh, there's still large tracts of uh, old-growth forest in Algonquin Park, then, and a large portions of this old-growth forest or, you know, they've never been logged and they're still unprotected, right? Yeah. For those that don't know Algonquin Park, Algonquin Park is one of, I think, two parks in Canada that still allow logging. Yes. They do have schedules and maps on what can be logged, what can't be logged. They also, they say they, they do the tree planting after they've logged and all that sort of renewable logging yeah. is what they call it. And, and to be honest, Algonquin Park was initially formed because the logging companies wanted to protect it from development. Yeah. So it, the park was developed as a park to preserve the logging resources. Yeah. And now over time, people want the logging stopped in the park. Yeah. So this is, yeah. So they were doing some, the Ancient Forest Exploration Research Group are up there. They're a nonprofit uh, educational organization. Yeah. And they, they found this 408-year-old tree. And they said they also identified three trees that are more than 300 years old and five that are more than 200 years old out of 10 trees they examined in the area. Mm -hmm. They're confident that there are many more trees older than 200 years old located. And this is the Cayuga Lake area, which is the northwest corner. Yes. It's just south of uh, North Tea Lake. And they're saying, yeah, there's there's likely more that are twice that age. So uh, a lot of them up in the 400 plus uh, 400 year old tree. Eh? It's incredible. eh? There's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. This that's... Blo- uh, Grant Brower, one of the guys I was, uh, hacking with, he, he's, he showed this story to me. It was, he's the one that found it. Okay. So it's, he's, uh, he gets credit for, for this topic this week. So they, in order to figure out how old they are, they do the core sample. So it's basically yeah. they take this hollow tube thingy, they screw it right through the tree, pull yeah. it out. You get, and they count the rings, right? Yeah. So I assume if you miss the center of the tree, they have to keep drilling cores. I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking you should know. <laughs> Find the middle, go straight across, right? And they're, they're saying that they should, as soon as possible, uh, core the remaining, like more trees in the area, just to make yes. sure. Just to get an idea of the age of the, the general age of all the trees in the area. Yeah, and also they found, they, they know that old-growth forests are carbon sinks, and they really need to protect these old-growth forests because, you know, to help them maintain the, clim- the yeah. climate, right? Yeah. So they're saying in the, the trees in the area, they, you really need to get on it, and you need to get on it now, because if you don't, and you miss the chance... Well, yeah, they're going to be harvested, and then they'll be gone forever. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, they're they're looking at doing that. 
this group says the 408-year-old tree is part of four neighboring old-growth forests, which are uh, uh, near the Kaluga Lake area, yeah. totaling 1,845 hectares, about half of which are open to logging. Is your fan on? I think my fan's on. It's very loud. Yeah, my uh, <laughs> also I'm hearing this humming, and it's my <laughs> fan is on from my uh, laptop here. Uh, what else? Uh, do, 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 what else? They go on to say here. So yeah, so they they about half of it's open to logging. So at any time they can waltz in there and exactly. cut these you trees see it. down. So yeah, right? it's currently not protected, and uh, it, I think really with this will protection of this area is going to come down to the. Uh, the integrity of the logging companies like i i can see where they probably don't want the bad press they don't want the uh the complaints from the public if they just go in there and quickly cut them down before they can be protected and the logging company is usually on the side of conservation yeah it's it's their livelihood they want to conserve the the logs logging as well right oh exactly so i imagine that uh, the logging companies are already going to they're going to have that area off their own limits right well, yeah, they'll they'll take into effect what or into account what it is and yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. So, but the the extra thing here is that these are uh, hemlocks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Algonquin is extra valuable because it's considered a refuge for hemlocks, which haven't been hit by the woolly adelgid, which is a <laughs> a bug. Yeah. Um, it's an invasive pest, not in Algonquin yet. Yes. So that's that's another reason they want these protected because of that. They also said that the last thing here was that they have cored two hemlocks more than 400 years old, the one in Algonquin yep. and one just uh, just outside Peterborough. Yes. So this is not just in one spot. This is quite yeah. a quite a distance away. Those two trees. Exactly, and so it just shows the uh, the expected age of hemlocks. You know, like a lot in a lot of cases with softwoods and stuff, the, the trees don't tend to last that long they tend to rot out early and quickly and so you uh, you tend not to have a lot of really old growth like pine trees and stuff like that mm-hmm. right but it's the hemlocks and the you know the sequoias out west and there's certain tree species that tend to be known to grow super old and super huge yes but they've got the over the crow river area they got um in crow lake i do believe there's a, an old growth white pine area yep. yes Right, and uh, there's some old, old trees there as well. So, so hopefully we'll follow that one and see what they what they do. But hopefully they'll uh, step up and protect that and yeah. say, you know, guys, I'm sure the forest industry will sort of step up and say, yeah, we're we're not going to do those ones. Yeah, it's definitely interesting though to to still in this day and age be coming across some significant and unique old growth trees in in some of the parks that we have like in, in Algonquin and stuff it's yeah. it's it's definitely now it, it's it's going to be an area on my list uh, like sort of the bucket list for Algonquin Park to go and check out right yeah I've, I've been up there many times to that area and have never gone to Kayoga. mind you I'm sure there's not going to be a big neon sign saying old tree this way <laughs> flash 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's talk about what you did this weekend. You got invited on an adventure, Mr. Bilbo. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. So uh, what was it? When we did the uh, Paddling Film Fest uh, last year, the most recent one we did, uh, uh, David Lee was uh, talking about uh, future endeavors that he plans and, and so on. And, and I... He was talking about uh, mountaineering and hiking and climbing and stuff like that. Right. And uh, 
back in back in the day when I used to live out in British Columbia, I used to do a lot of uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, multi-day hikes and mountaineering and you know traversing and stuff like that. But I haven't done it in a long time. So uh, I mentioned that to him, and he said, "Hey, join the group." So I uh, I became one of the team members for uh, for doing some uh, and what we did this last weekend was uh, the group we uh, we hiked into the Adirondacks. So the uh, the group was uh, it's David Lee, Grant Brower, Johnny Stinson, Matt Grinter, and Peter Romain, and myself. And so we've been planning since last spring this trip, right? So it's uh, it really started uh, this this recent weekend really started forming up over the last uh, six weeks or so. Really, the details are really coming down. And uh, so it was uh, it was quite the quite the trip. It was uh, so we. We went down to the Adirondacks, uh, Keene, uh, the township of Keene, and uh, we did. Uh, our plan was a large multi-day loop, and uh, it's is well. I guess I'll start off with. Uh, I'll oftentimes, and all these guys I went with, they're all paddlers, right? It's it. Uh, what do you do in the hard water season? You find something other that's something challenging. Something else to do. Something else to do. Something that's challenging. Something that test your limits and uh, the body and the soul and stuff like that. So uh, I'm, I'm, I think it's awesome that I got invited along, but uh, I really did turn out to be the weakest links, link in the group. <laughs> you, you got voted off the island. <laughs> you, sir, are the weakest link. Well, these guys have been uh, doing this kind of, uh, this, this kind of tripping and this kind of hiking and mountaineering and for two years, three years. Yeah. Or well, that's what, when you said you were going on one of these trips, I'm like, haven't these guys been doing this for a yeah. while and you've done this never? Well, like, no, it's it's well, the first time I've done it since my mid to late 20s. So yeah. it's been 25 years or so, right? Yeah. So. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're like a spring chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely wasn't conditioned for this. But uh, I'll just quickly describe the trip. It was, uh, so we, uh, was it Thursday night? Everybody showed up at my house and, uh, I, uh, I provided the transportation, so we all went down to the fun bus. I've got a 24-foot RV, so everybody piled into the fun bus, and we drove all night long, crossed the border, headed down into uh, into the Adirondacks. And uh, it was it, it's fun. It was unique. It, unique. It's a you get a chance everybody gets to be in the same vehicle and enjoy the trip, right? Yeah. What was so it, was like kind of six fun. hours or something like that? It was something like that. We uh, I think we got on the road around just shortly after 9, and we parked in, uh, uh, was it Noonmark Cafe parking lot at like three or four in the morning, oh, slept okay. for two hours and then went in for breakfast. Wow. So yeah, it was, uh, so it was about, uh, we stopped a long way, slight delays at the border, not really much. They sort of breeze us through and, uh, it was, uh, it was, but it was a good trip. A lot more snow in, in down down south of the border, though. Holy cow! Yeah, we seem to be in the middle. Like I know Highway Seven here, north mm-hmm. of that gets they have hit, snow. and then south of the lake, yeah, uh, Lake Ontario gets yeah. hit. Yeah, and we're just sort of in this no snow uh, snow zone. I know it's, it's mild weird, or right? yeah. So we had a clear drive until we got into New York State, and then, like, the roads were snow-covered and everything was slippery, and, like, we passed through Lake Placid, and they were, like, there was dump trucks and payloaders and everything. They were hauling snow away, and it was, like, I couldn't believe the, the there was, like, trucks, and it, it was, like, 2 in the morning by that time, 3 in the morning in Lake Placid, New York. 
and there was there was snow moving equipment everywhere. It was wow. crazy. It was, and there was there was quite a bit of snow on the road. But uh, for the trip, the like like I said originally, it was uh, originally it was going to be a loop. There was going to be uh, I think we we're going to do uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. About a pro- we we're proposed to be doing ten peaks, right? So on the first day after breakfast, we uh, headed to the trailhead. Uh, I guess we got on the trailhead around uh, eight-ish, and uh, so there we we it was the first leg of the loop, and uh, I very quickly realized that I was not conditioned for this. I I was not these guys. They're they're beasts. They're monsters. They uh, they hike and snowshoe at a very fast rate my little peg legs just couldn't keep up (laughs) (laughs) so i i tried to keep myself back to below uh heart exploding speed Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it was uh but it was like minus 21 uh that night and so as as the day grew long that the uh the temperatures really started to drop and uh we got to where we were gonna set up and we dropped packs and took smaller amounts of gear to hit to uh, Mount Colvin, our first peak. And uh, so we did a like a three-hour push-up, about three hours back. And uh, so everybody got up to the top, and I was just, I was worn out. And every time I stopped moving, the cold got to me right away, right? Right. So we got delayed near the peak because we were trying to discover there was like 50 more feet to the peak of Mount Colvin. You could see the peak. It was about 50 feet above us. But, uh, so we stopped, we were looking, I was exhausted. This was more energy that I expended in a long time. And, uh, so I said, listen guys, I'm not going to try and dig through waist deep snow to climb up to the last peak where the wind is really blowing up there, really exposed. And I was already cold. My fingers were freezing. So I said, okay, I'm just going to head back to campsite and I'm going to go slow so you guys can catch up, yada, yada, yada. And, uh. Thanks to Peter, like I didn't have to go back alone. Peter volunteered to uh, not do the the summit himself, and he uh, joined me for the trip back so that I wasn't heading back alone. And uh, the other four guys, uh, they they managed to find a route up to the peak and uh, got their pictures and stuff done. Right. And uh, so me and Peter just headed back. Everybody caught up with us. And uh, so by the time we got back to the campsite, I was like, guys, listen, sorry, but I am not conditioned for this. I am... This is way more work. I thought I was ready for this trip. I was not ready for this trip. Right. It was, I was exhausted and I was worried. Every time I stopped moving, I was start to freeze, right? So I had fairly good gear. Uh, I I left my down puffy jacket back at the uh, at the campsite because I didn't think I needed it. I had a shell and whatever, but I should have brought the puffy jacket. But uh, I'll blame that on Grant. We uh, he did an intervention for weight, and he we offloaded a whole bunch of gear, <laughs> and I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have left the, the the puffy jacket behind. But anyways, uh, we were back at camp, and uh, I said, "Listen, I uh, I'm worried that I don't have the energy to keep warm tonight." And uh, Peter had already agreed that me and him were gonna head back to the RV and and get warm, and you guys can move on, and we'll do day trips, and you guys can do your loop, right? Right. But uh, the rest of the group decided to uh, you know, credit to David Lee and the others. They said, no, listen, this, let's change the plan. Let's, uh, let's change things up. And uh, and he was remarkably flexible, and I appreciated that. So it's, uh, the group stayed together. We all headed back to the RV, and uh, we ended up getting a hotel that night. And 
we rejigged the plans for uh, for a smaller loop, a uh, less uh, challenging loop, right? Right. Well, the, just to, to cut in for a second here, as you say, when you got to put the canoes away, you're looking for something to do in the winter. Yes. You know, whether it's camping yeah. or something like that and, uh, you know, finding something new. So you, you've tried this and... Just see how it is. And, it, and I mean, these guys ran into the same problems when they first started doing it. Yeah. Uh, so Grant was telling me that too. He, uh, he said the first time he, uh, he did a trip with the guys, he said, uh, he didn't summit. He said he was exhausted. He said he was miserable for a couple of days. He was, uh, just snapping and barking at people. He, you know, lost his temper and he's just, he, he was miserable. He said, I'm never doing this again, but he went back to it, uh, Matt Grinter, he was telling me that uh, the very first time he went out on a big trip like this, he didn't summit. Right. He he couldn't he couldn't do it. He didn't have the energy. He didn't have the the uh, he couldn't sustain the the high pace of of the hiking and whatnot. So he <coughs> he never summited either. Right. So but the, that's where these guys first trips. Unfortunately, this was my first trip in like twenty five years. Right. So I just. I, I thought, I honestly thought I was, I was conditioned. I was ready for this, but, uh, I, my, well, it was my a good pace starter. is much slower than theirs. Now, th- this was just a preview trip for another trip you guys are planning. Yes. yes. So that's to come. So, uh, I'm not going to say anything about that yeah, one just no, yet. No, no, no. But, but th- uh, no, coming. so I mean, it's, it's, it's good to find out now. Absolutely. You know, like, whoa, you know, like this was not my cup of tea oh. f- like this. I need to make changes. Absolutely. I need to get another piece of gear. I need to yeah. do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. Mm-hmm. So that when the big trip comes, you are I'm absolutely prepared yes. for it and yeah. and ready to go. So it's, it's a good thing for a small thing like this. I think I think it's a really excellent idea that you guys did the smaller one first mm-hmm. to make sure everybody <laughs> is on the same page, everybody's well, up to speed. Actually, this one is... Uh, this one was is more challenging than the next one. The next one is is there's more exposure. This one is more work. Right. More peak climbing and more elevation changes. The next one is uh, is a big grind on the first day and then uh, smaller ups and downs for the rest of the week. Right. But if there's more exposure, then at least you know now the gear that you exactly. used the first day was not. Yeah. So adequate. I I learned a lot about gear. Uh, I learned that I can't pack like I'm on a canoe trip. Yep. The canoe's not carrying all the weight. I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really long portage. <laughs> yes, it's a really, really long portage. Well, it was uh, the first day we were on the trail for, we, we were out there for about 10 or more hours. Second day, about three hours. Third day, we were out for another 10 hours or so. And on the fourth day, we were out for about three hours. So it was, uh, my legs are still sore. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody needs to get himself a stair climber. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. I need a stair climber. That was uh, Matt Grinter. He posted night. He did uh, what, what did he do? One hundred and sixty some floors or something. I don't know. He did some crazy amount of of. He was like doing four four and a half floors a minute. Wow. Yeah. So he was really pumping. He was like putting. He's putting in the miles, right? I should be doing that too, but I'm here recording with you. You could be moving your feet at the same time. <laughs> <It could be. laughs> so now we had the discussion beforehand and uh, you were saying you just like to get up there and get outdoors. I like the challenge. I, you're, I, you're not necessarily a, a peak bagger. No. It, yeah. And the, I think I kind of surprised the guys when I, when I said that, because, because they, when we, every time they hit a peak, there was, there was hooting and hollering and they're all excited and right. fist bumps all around and stuff like that. And it's like, well, oh, I like the view, but. It's not, 
my goal. It's yeah. it's not my thing. I love doing it. I, I love the challenge, but uh, I, I'm not there to, you know. You're not going to break a leg getting that extra 50 yeah. feet. I, yeah, I'm not yeah. there to earn the patches, right? So. Right. Yeah, I know uh, Johnny Stinson there. There was a photo on Facebook. Oh, the patches. Um, yeah. Now, what is it? The Passionate Peaker. Yeah. P-E-A-K-E-R. Yeah. So that's David Lee's, because in the summer, he's the Passionate Paddler. Passionate Paddler, Passionate and Peaker. He's got the Passionate Peaker yeah. as well. So I know there, there was a picture posted of uh, Johnny with his patches. For yes. Each. So, so you can buy patches for every peak? So in, in that range, there's... Uh, it's known as the 46, so the 46 peaks, the 46ers. Okay. So you can, you can, uh, you, there's a, I don't know, a badge or something you can earn for doing all 46. And we saw one of the cars, I should have taken a photo of it, but there, one of the cars had, uh, the, the individual had done all 46 peaks. Right. And, uh, so summer, winter, yada, yada, yada. But there's also a special challenge for the 46 peaks is, uh, doing all 46 peaks in winter. And then there's another challenge where you do all 46 peaks in the same winter. Ooh. Yeah. And this guy had that sticker on the back of his car. He did all 46 peaks in the single winter. That's got to be like all he did that winter. Well, I don't know. He must live in the area, right? You have to. He's got to live in the area and he's got to have a lot of time. He's probably works at one of the local shops, like the Mountaineer yeah. or something, right? He's a, he's probably one of those people that, you know, this is a, every weekend I'm out doing a couple of peaks. Yeah. Right? Or a forest ranger or yeah. something like that, right? Yeah. Something, something. Yeah. He's got to be in the industry, right? But if you're if you're that into it, then then that's what you do. Yeah, exactly. You do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's 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 uh yeah. Uh, I would not do it in the winter. Um, if I'm going to do something like that, I'll, I'll gladly go out and, you know, hike a trail up, a up a mountain in the yeah. summer. But, uh, yeah, the winter is just not my bag. Well, it's the, uh, for me, the, uh, what bothered me was the extreme cold, like at minus 21 degrees, that's like the second you stop, you try and do anything with your hands. They're frozen, right? Yeah. So it's, it's like, I, I was from one extreme to the other. I'm, I'm, uh. I'm slogging up the trail in the snowshoes and I'm breaking into a sweat and I'm overheating. And then like five minutes later, if I stop, my fingers are all frozen and, and I'm getting the chills and it's like, oh, this is, is one extreme to another. It's just like you try and find a happy medium and happy medium was just too slow for the rest of the guys. Right. So I was, yeah. I was dragging down the whole group. Now, did Johnny have his new metal snowshoes with the, they were jagged edged all around, I do believe. Oh, I don't remember what ones he had. Yeah, he's he's showing us to those at uh, Mew at Mew Lake at oh, New yeah? Year's. He had a new pair. I think he was going to be taking those. But yeah, there was it was full on metal, mm-hmm. uh, basically claws the entire circumference of the snowshoe. Yeah, well, on the bottom, yeah, there's yeah. there's claws everywhere, and I, we yeah. all had the same sort of s- snowshoes, right? They're yeah. sport snowshoe. Like I have a pair of tubs, and uh, they've got lots of claws. They got almost like a crampon on the bottom. And yeah. Very aggressive snowshoe, right? But they're um, they're they're not built big with a lot of float for like in just a lot of uh, you know a lot of powder. Like usually the first guy stomps down the trail. If there's no already a trail, then everybody comes along and you just switch leads, right? And so there's only one guy. You don't have one guy breaking trail all, all the time, day long. Right? Yeah. So yeah. everybody that comes up takes up the tail end is uh, the 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 trail's somewhat broken, so it's easier with these smaller sport shoes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, when it came to gear, um, 
stow you guys because there was no fires up there. No. So what, uh, as as part of the uh, as part of the plan, we uh, we managed to get uh, three whisper light. I think they were whisper lights. Were they whisper lights? Anyways, all three stoves are the same. So interchangeable parts, interchangeable bottles. And if one breaks, you, got you can take parts from one to another. And so you have spares, right? Yeah. So if, if you have three different stoves, one breaks down, all of the parts of that one that broke down are now useless because they can't be used on any of the working stoves. Right. So all the same stove. And uh, so a lot of the gear planning and stuff like that is that way. For this trip, nobody, we didn't have tents. We, uh, we were either going to, the plan was to uh, sleep under tarps. Okay. So just a tarp to help break the wind, but we're just going to be sleeping out in the open, right? And uh, which is another was another concern for me with uh, with uh, any breezes or any winds, it just sucks the heat right out of you, right? You've got to have a top notch yeah. sleep system. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So in the end, though, we ended up staying two nights in uh, in a lean to in a hut. Yeah, there there was <laughs> a pre made lean to yeah and, and the park has a whole bunch of these things right yeah scattered throughout yeah, for shelter exactly yeah yeah now was there a pre-broken trail uh there's a couple times where like when we went up uh mount colvin we broke trail the whole time uh so that was nobody had been up there since the last few snowfalls and it was like we at times we were trying to figure out where the trail was just because nobody we couldn't even see any any indentations where there was a trail right and but for the remaining couple of days when we uh, when we did the uh, the other range, it was uh, like up to the Gothics and Armstrong Upper Woolwich, stuff like that. All that all that was broken trail. There was only okay. a like a two hundred foot section where we actually broke trail, and then we came to another wow. set trail. So well, it that was, makes things a lot easier. Oh yeah, a lot with, faster. Yeah, it was because when you're breaking trail, it's just you're just constantly slipping and sliding trying to yeah. climb. Right, and it's, it's uh, some of these areas are really steep. Big expenditure of energy. Oh yeah, a lot more. Yeah, you're using a lot more energy when you're breaking trail. So it was, but it was it was good. It was uh, it was a good couple few days, and it was uh, I learned a lot. I learned about uh, I got to cut back on equipment. I need a few uh, better pieces of equipment. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I shouldn't be carrying that way too much, and so I, I've got, I really have to. Uh, nail down my gear and I have to nail down my conditioning, right? Yeah. I think the, the big thing would be the warmth, the it clothes, is. the gloves, yes. and the, the, the feet. Exactly. And so I, I had all that done. I just, the, the, I think the only thing I'm really missing is a thin, uh, a shell jacket. Okay. So that my current jacket is, uh, it's, it's an insulated ski jacket. So it's too heavy. Okay. Right. It's just too heavy, too thick. I need something that uh, because oftentimes you're you're generating so much heat that you're you don't want the extra warmth of a shell or a, a, of an insulated jacket. You just want a shell to block the wind. Yeah. So that's that's one of the few things that I have to upgrade, right? Now you had wickaway stuff underneath everything. Oh yeah, yeah. I went and I have all kinds of Under Armour this and Columbia that, and so I bought a whole bunch of really decent undergarments right just right. uh wick stuff away there's nothing cotton so it's 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 all it, everything's good so it's uh it, it worked out that way to have the proper gear to stay warm and stay dry right right and then your sleeping bag and all that was rated to minus yeah i've got eight minus, billion. i have a minus 30 <laughs> bag yeah yeah so that was pretty good so the weather was a good uh, good weekend though Oh yeah, the weather was fantastic. Nice and sunny. Yeah. So at night it was kind of cold. It was like minus twenty one, and then about minus eighteen the other two nights. 
and uh, but during the day, like uh, one of the highest peaks we did was uh, was uh, Gothics, and uh, when we got to the top, there was there was just the slightest breeze, and it just felt warm. Like mm-hmm. we were up there with hardly no wind at all, bright sunshine. And it was like it's it was, Johnny was saying, "Hey, if, if I'd known we're going to be in Florida, right?" It's uh, so it was it was, and you could see forever, right? It was clear. Yeah. You could you could barely see clouds off in the far distance. It was it was a really well, amazing day. Like I say, I saw some of the photos there, and you see all the the other mountains and yeah, the hills yeah, and everything. Amazing. And like the first uh, the first peak we did on Colvin on Friday, uh, Friday late afternoon. It was. The wind came up. It was cold and it was miserable. The guys who went up to the peak, the they all had to you know, put their goggles on and stuff like that because they were freezing and it was like the wind was sucking all the heat out of you. And then the and then two days later when we get up to Gothic, it was like no wind, sun, beautiful, warm. It was great, right? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fantastic. Like it's it's great to be able to get out on a peak like that and have the weather agreeable, right? Yeah. It's, instead of getting up there and then, okay, run away, run away, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you got a hurricane style wind coming yeah. across and is bitter and biting, yeah. you're, you're not going to, you're going to do a quick little, okay, I'll take a picture with my phone yeah. and, and so beat it. So the weather was so good up on Gothic site. We just, we played around and we took some weird pictures and just, we kind of hung around a really long time, right? Yeah. There was the yoga pose picture. Yeah. Yeah. Care to explain? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter was uh, Peter agreed to do a yoga pose picture for Leanne Hennessy and he's like she's Leanne's she's, uh, in, teaches yoga and yes everything. she does yes yeah. so uh, he none of us really cooperated that well with the <laughs> yoga pose picture so but it was uh, it was fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's see you and David did a heart yes yeah. um yeah, uh, Johnny Stinson was doing the Karate Kid yeah. pose. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, he was trying to do tree, but it's hard to do tree with snow a tree. Shoes. It's a tree pose or something. You get one knee up and your arms out. I don't know. I guess it's like oh, the Karate it was like Kid the crane thing. or whatever yeah. from the Karate Kid. Yeah, with snow shoes. <laughs> yeah, I think it was altitude sickness, guys. Yes, there you go. Yeah, we'll we'll just put it down to that. Um, so when you got to your first peak. They actually yeah. made it all the way up. What did you think? You're, you're, were you feeling better about the changes you'd made at the hotel? Yeah. So they, uh, I, man, I worked with, uh, I worked with the guys and we managed to, well, we lost 10 pounds of weight of the pack, but on that day we just had, uh, very, we had light packs. Some guys didn't have packs. They were trading packs off. Okay. And we left most of our gear down at the hut. Oh, that's right. Cause you guys, you guys set up all your gear at the, the, the lean to. Yep. And then you just took smaller packs up for the day trip. Exactly. So just, just left a, everything just there. Just a day That's trip. Right. So we had nothing for staying out at night or no, had no stove, no nothing, right? So just, right. Just the water, some snacks and some spare clothing. That was about it. And uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was exciting to be up there, but I, I'm, like I said, I'm not the, the peak bagger type of personality. I just, I'm out for the challenge. I was, it was nice to get out there and nice to achieve the climb and. And so it was fun. It was just, I'm not that peak bagger type <laughs> of guy, right? <laughs> You're not Mr. Excitement. Woo! Yeah, yeah. So when I go on canoe trips, um, I'll take a big thing of trail mix and I'll take this, that, and the other thing for snacks and that just to keep the energy up. Yeah. And I always come back with 
trail mix and some jerky <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, when you were knowing that you've got to keep your energy up and your calories and that mm-hmm. just to keep yourself warm and stuff, did you eat everything that you took or did you, was that one of the things you I need to cut down on? I ate most of it, but, uh, I, I wasn't eating enough. And, uh, see, the problem was, is, uh, it, with the extreme cold, I would, sometimes I would try not to even stop. I'd just be pulling food out of my pockets and eating, right? Right. And it makes a difference. You got to constantly eat. You got to, you got to feed the furnace, right? Yep. So, uh, but, uh, I was, I hadn't created the proper habits for, for doing that. So I often would be eating too late when I've already out of energy Okay. and, uh, or I wouldn't drink enough water and you really, you're never drinking enough water. So it's, uh, it's one of those things I have to learn that discipline to, uh, make sure you, you know, you stop every hour or so to eat and, and constantly drink water and, and, you know, just, just to keep your body going, right. Fuel, yeah. the, fuel the furnace. So now what about your, were they, uh, insulated water bottles? Yes. So everybody had insulated water bottles or, or else your water would freeze, right? Yeah. Like we would, uh, uh the night before we would make. Everybody would just, it's like for two hours, the, the stoves are going, whistling and screaming, and you're making boiling water, and everybody fills their Nalgene bottles, throws them in your sleep bags, and you sleep with a hot bottle. It keeps you warm and stops the bottle from freezing. Right. And the next morning, you'd, uh, if you needed to, you'd uh, reboil your water if it got too cold so that you had water that didn't freeze throughout the day, right? So uh, there's, uh, at the end of each of the days, like... Uh, by the time you're getting back to camp and you're drinking the last of your water, that last of your water is like ice cold, right? It's yeah. hard to drink, right? So, and usually the, uh, if you're not careful, like you have to, for example, you're carrying your water bottles upside down or else the, the lid's going to freeze shut, freeze shut, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's, there's a lot of little techniques and little things that you, I, I forgot about from the years ago when I used to do all the hiking, right? It's like, oh yeah, the bottle upside down trick and all that stuff like that, right? It's, uh, you forget about it. But yeah, and that's one of the major problems, right? You, if you, if you don't insulate your water bottle, your water's going to freeze solid. Well, and that's then, exactly, right? yeah. Yeah. So it's all these little things that you got to remember and exactly, take note yeah. of. And, yeah. uh, so it sounds like you're going to be doing some... Uh, getting into shape and yes. some, yes. some shopping. I, I've got to work on that. That's for sure. So you guys are heading out again sometime in February, correct? Correct. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll go better for you. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it still sounds and looks like you guys had a good time this uh, this past weekend anyway. It was good. It was good. I've got a few more things to run. I was going to do, uh, so by the numbers, it's, uh, so uh, Grant compiled some a list here. So for this weekend trip, there's a day one through four. So day one, we hiked 21 kilometers with an elevation gain of 885 meters. Day two, we hiked 5.1 kilometers with an elevation gain of 251 meters. Uh, Day three, 16.7 kilometer hiking with a total elevation gain of 1,186 meters. And uh, on the last day, it was just a short out to the RV. It was uh, 5.1 kilometers and uh, 15 meters elevation gain. So we did a total hiking on snowshoes of 48.1 kilometers over the weekend. A total elevation gain of 2,337 meters. That's almost two and a half kilometers. (laughs) So 
I think on on your next trip, yeah, you need to get a heavy duty sleep uh, uh, garbage bag. <laughs> yeah, because it goes really small. Yeah, it's got to be heavy, heavy duty. <laughs> and then when you get to the top of one of these, and you guys are heading down, you jump into that bag. Because <laughs> <laughs> we used to use those as, as the poor man toboggans, yeah. right? Yeah, the old garbage bag trick. The problem is, it'd be bouncing off every tree on the way down. That sounds like a you problem. <laughs> <laughs> there was one point; it was the final push up, uh, what they call the false peak on Gothics. Is uh, we were we came up by snowshoe, and then it got super icy, and there was no snow. It was just icy rock, right? So we switched over to crampons, and you kind of scooch sideways onto the onto the the climbing up onto the ridge, and you look down behind you, and it's like an eight hundred foot drop. Ooh. So, so you guys had ice uh, ice axes, did you not? Yes, ice yeah. axes, crampons, uh, technical snowshoes, and stuff like that. But yeah, this one section with the crampons and ice axes climbing up this little section. Like if the whole weekend of all the hard work that I did, that was the only time my heart got up to that rate. You were wearing the brown <laughs> pants. <laughs> uh, it was a brown pants day. <laughs> but it wasn't so bad. I, I, I've done stuff like that before, so I felt pretty confident. But it's still, yeah. it was, it was, it's the rush, right? It's yeah. the rush of uh, one slip, you're toast. <laughs> Did anybody bring rope? Yes, we had rope. Uh, so we had an emergency rope. Uh, David brought rope just for for either. T- we never used it, never yeah. needed it. But it, it's rope just for rescue rope or in case somebody falls in a, in a tree hole or, or something. Quickly dig that, it out as they're falling down that 800 feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's that, awesome. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I did by the numbers. I did the elevation gain. Oh, I, I think I already covered the pack weight. It was 31 to 58 pounds, right? Uh, yeah, yours was yeah. the 58 pounds. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. <laughs> wow. And, and I guess the takeaways, uh, I guess to just uh, finish it off, the takeaways from this trip is uh, I'm not in the shape that I thought I was. Pear is a shape. <laughs> Pear is a shape. <laughs> not for that negativity, yeah. mister. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, these guys are beasts. Like these guys, this is they love this stuff, right? They love the pain. Embrace the suck, you know. This is one of the <laughs> one of the common things they say. So I, I and it's it's going to be it take me a lot to to be able to hike at their pace. Well, and they're used to doing it for a couple of years. Yeah, now they've too, been doing right? it for a while. So, yeah, so they're 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 got to play some catch up. Yeah. Uh, I found what was weird is. Uh, it's I can't keep up with them. My little legs couldn't keep up with them. My heart couldn't keep up with them on on the the moderate climbs mm-hmm. just because they move so fast. But I found I had no problem keeping up with them on the super steep technical areas. Right. Right. So in the in the like my legs, my my muscles, I can I can do the steep, short, quick climbs. Right. It's just the long, stretched out pace of they're like almost jogging on snowshoes, right? Yeah. I can't keep up with that. So, so the the relatively shallow trails, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I need better eating and drinking discipline. I talked about that. I need to improve my pack weight. You know, I'm used to canoeing. Yeah. And I got to cut me weight. So if I if I can cut pack weight and if I could lose about another 10 or 15 pounds off the pack and lose about 10 or 15 pounds off of me. <laughs> in the next month. Yeah, in the next month. <laughs> I'll have it made. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. So next week, juice cleanse. <laughs> We're eating nothing but kale. Yeah. <laughs> kale and water. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So it sounds like you had a good time. It was challenging. It was. It's one of the toughest things I've done since I was in my mid twenties. Yes, yeah, it's, it's those things you, you you get. I mean, we we go on these trips now in, in the canoe tripping and. And we're thinking, ah, pff, whatever, that's nothing. Yeah. But then you go to do something like this. Yeah. It's... I mean, we got to, you know, I, I when, I, when I'm at the gym and I'm doing the um, treadmill. Yeah. You can do it so it goes up and down like hilly, right? Exactly, yeah. But it's not going straight up. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you're, you've yeah. got some massive elevation going. Oh, yeah. And that's not, you don't get that usually. I mean, there's there's a couple of portages, I know that. You, you there do, are but, a few. But on, on, a, on a normal canoe trip. Exactly. You're not getting, you're getting up and lots of up and downs of, you know, a few feet at a time or a yeah. dozen feet, whatever. Uh, but you're not getting that much elevation all No, exactly. And generally your portages are you know, between 200 and 800 meters. Yeah. And the occasional ones you can, you can avoid all the long ones. Yeah. You know, if, if you plan your route out well. But uh, yeah, this here is, uh, it's all about this giant portage. <laughs> well, at least you didn't have a canoe with you. I know, I know. Like the guys up on Everest. Uh, yeah, the weight we carry. They're they should be done now. They should be at base camp. They should be at Everest base camp now. So yeah, check that one out. <laughs> so alrighty, well, uh, can't wait to hear how things fare. Hopefully, better on your uh, next adventure. Yes, yeah, it's something like I say. We're all looking for stuff yeah. to do in the winter, and that's if they let me go. Yeah, because I already posed the question. I said, "Listen, guys, I'm a liability. You might want to replace me." Derek, you've been voted off the island. <laughs> now they like you because you got the fun bus. Yes, yes. Yeah. It was neat going down everybody in the RV. It was it was pretty cool. All in one vehicle. Yeah. 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 That's cool. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break here, and we'll come back and uh, talk about a couple other things here. Hey, this is Sean Rowley, and you're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. To find out more about us, check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Current and past episodes of our podcast can be downloaded or streamed from iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page of our website. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, we would love to hear from you. So drop us a line on Facebook or our website. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family, since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. So I've been following this guy all last year. Yep. Uh, he's Steve Chard. He's a ex Royal Navy sub veteran and an, a former emergency care attendant from the UK. He retired and he decided he was going to, there's, there's a thing called the great loop. And he decided I, he got the book. He got a book. Somebody sent him a book called the great loop, uh, about the great loop. Sorry. It's called honey. Let's get a boat, a cruising adventure of America's great loop by Ron and Eva Staub. So he's got that book. He found it quite, um, interesting. And he decided that he is going to kayak the great loop, 
which is 6,000 miles or 10,000 kilometers. And he's while he's doing it, he's uh, fundraising for nine British, Canadian, and American charities. That's a lot of charities. That is. So he's decided uh, this is what he's going to do. Now, this book that he got, it's a story of a couple's traveled on a 40-foot trawler cruising the 6,300 miles through 145 locks around the eastern part of North America known as America's Great Loop or the Great Circle Cruise. Mm-hmm. And those who take on this challenge, they follow rivers, canals, protected waterways, including the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway, um, all these different rivers and, and waterways through different types of landscape, you know, yep. forest, uh, rivers that run through cities, the whole that's, whole shebang. That's quite the trip. I guess that'll just be a couple weekends or something, eh? Yeah, it'll be a week <laughs> and a half, maybe. So how I, long does... Well, so he's 60. Yeah. And by the time he's done, he'll be 61. Okay. <laughs> so I, I came across him on Facebook there last year. Yeah. And they said he's going to do this. So I was, I was following him along, and he gives daily updates on where he's been and stuff like that. And 169 days, he made half halfway. Okay. Okay. Uh, so then he was going to, uh, and with his visa, his, his, his permit there, you can you go only got to be in you can only be in the states for 180 days then you got to leave then you got to come back for another 180 days you know you're so he worked it all into that so june 1st 2018 that's when he started he started june 1st halifax nova scotia so he'll finish the same place in halifax september he's figuring um I'm thinking, yeah, August maybe, August, September. Mm-hmm. Having kayaked through four Canadian provinces, 22 U.S. states, navigating some of the biggest lakes and waterways in North America. He's 60 years old, he's doing this. That's incredible. He says he, he's always been a fundraiser. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's, that's the main thing. But he's also doing it as a vacation and a trip for himself. Yeah. To do it. So when if you go to... If you just search on um, Facebook for at Paddle with Steve, you'll get Kayak the Great Loop dash Paddle with Steve. And if you take the time to scroll all the way down, and it takes a while to do that too, because it's all the way from last year. And you start from day one and you follow all his daily um, little notes and stuff like that and pictures and whatnot. This is pretty cool. He he saw a lot of things. So June 1st, Halifax. You start there. You circle around through. Starting in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Heading up the St. Lawrence River to Quebec and Montreal. Okay. Then he hits the... He heads up the Ottawa River to Ottawa. Then the Rideau Canal back down to the Great Lakes at Kingston. The Trent Severn Waterway to Georgian Bay, the North Channel of Lake Huron, entering the U.S. at Mackinac Island and crossing Lake Michigan to Chicago. From Chicago, he heads south for the Gulf of Mexico via Illinois, Mississippi, the Ohio Rivers, Tennessee Tom, Tom Bigby Waterway, and back to the sea at Mobile, Alabama. Then he'll circumnavigate Florida, 
And that's where he'll end the first leg. That's where he did end the first leg of his trip. So that's (laughs) quite the distance. That's like 3,000 miles. How long did he have to leave the U.S. for? Uh, Well, he left left at the end of November, and now he's back. Back in January. Yeah, back in January. So like a month or something. I think you got to leave for a month and come back sort of thing. So January 12th, he was back on the river. Or back 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 on the water uh, in Astor, Florida. So that was what uh, today's the seventeenth. So five days last Saturday. Yeah, last Saturday he started again. He'll be heading up the east coast through the Atlantic intercoastal intercoastal. Oh, oh my god, I can't <laughs> even speak here. Law. Intercoastal waterways <laughs> to Chesapeake Bay, yeah. Washington D.C., New York City, Boston, the Gulf of Maine, the Bay of Fundy, and finally back to Halifax. And he figures, like I say, if that was 169 days to go that one. That's a I don't think, trip. I don't think Holy it'll be that much to cow. do back. Yeah. But it is a massive loop. So if you follow all his little daily updates and stuff like that, uh, he'll go like uh, this one here, Sunday, 18th November, day 169. And he gets a little blurb on what happened that day, which is really cool to follow him through yeah. the entire way. He saw... A lot of stuff. You would, eh? Like- you would. But what I like about it, just going through, not only is he raising money for charity, I mean, he, that's, that's his main goal, but the amount of... Now, when we, we interviewed Mike Ranta. Yes. He says the amount of people across Canada that would, you know, lend him a hand or, you know... Yeah. Take them in for the night, give them, give them lodging and feed them and that yes. sort of stuff. People want to help out. People exactly want to be part the same of the journey. Deal. Exactly the same deal. So he's going down and people are taking him in and say, hey, come on, we'll buy you some dinner or stay at our lodge or, you know, camp on our front lawn, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's getting a lot of that. And That's you start nice. you start reading it all. Yeah. So a lot of the people welcomed him along the way and, you know, like I say, food, lodging for the night, helping him dry his gear after massive storms and stuff like that. He ran into sun, rain, high winds, thunderstorms, like the whole gamut of... Yeah. Of, I don't think he ran into anything like uh, hurricanes or anything like that. At one point, he ended up down in Florida. He ended up with a small crack in his hull, and he's leaking some water. Oh yeah. Uh, but they fa- found out with that, and somebody, yeah, he, he found somebody to fix that for him, and huh. he, he overcame that. Had to adjust his route a couple of times to keep on schedule, and that would be the big thing. Is like, especially because he he states that he wanted to be off the water or off the Great Lakes. Uh, before the the September, so that the um, before freeze up started on the Great Lakes and yes. all that, and the bad weather comes and all that sort of stuff, you don't want to be on Superior. Oh, that's a wicked after yeah. that, right? Oh uh, yeah. So I think no, I'm not sure. I have to go back and check it out, but I think he ended up in Hamilton because I know he had a lot of bad weather right at the beginning, and it held him up enough that I think he. Uh, had somebody drive him a, a certain way, distance to get back on schedule. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Hey, if that's what you got to do to make sure everything's safe and you can actually continue the trip, then then so be it. Uh, but he took, when you're going through his, his uh, page here, um, he took time to sightsee and stuff along the way. And, like, you, you're starting to, oh, yeah, there, there's riverboats and there's, uh, the Elvis and there's all these different things that he saw along the way, alligators in, in these uh, um, different 
um, like the Everglades or whatever, the, these little paddling destinations that you could hit. All the way, he started seeing stuff and, and seeing different things. So he took time for himself to have a giant... It was like a it's vacation like a giant, yeah. thing as well, yeah. right? Yeah. So if you're going to be out there for 300 days, <laughs> <laughs> basically a whole year, mm-hmm. then you might as well enjoy it while you're doing it too, right? Which is, it seems to be what he's doing. And so, yeah, so now he's started. Uh, he's almost been uh, a week on the return trip up to Halifax. Yeah, so he's on his return leg and he's doing all coastal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, it's all up the eastern uh, huh. seaboard there. Uh, intercoastal waterways and stuff like that. So well, his timing's good. By the time he gets far enough north, winter's going to be over. Yep. Right. Right yep. now he's in the balmy south in in Florida. I think what yesterday he was in Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville. Yep. So yeah, it's it's uh, his timing is is uh, is well planned for for the return trip. Yeah. If he hits uh, Nova Scotia and all that area, if he hits, hits that in August, that's perfect. You know, so that's what it is. So yeah, I'm just following them. So like I say, go to Facebook, check out just, just in the little search bar, put at the, the at symbol paddle with Steve or kayak the great loop paddle with Steve. And it'll come up and like I say, just take the time to go down and just start checking out the things he was doing. And he just, like I say, he posts pictures of people that he's met and things that he's done. And he even got a picture of the guy fixing the, the crack in his hull. Yeah. Um, use extreme caution entering a wilderness area. Remember, this is not a zoo <laughs> and there's a big alligator sitting there, <laughs> you know, all that sort of stuff. And the pictures of people that have helped him out and things he saw, you know, it, it, it's really cool just to follow his, his, uh, journey here. So yeah, like I say, I, I found that last year and I was sort of just following it along, following it along thinking, well, we'll see what happens with this. And he's actually made it quite the distance. So looking forward to uh, seeing how the second half of his journey goes. And uh, uh, definitely, if, if you're looking for a good read, uh, just follow Steve. And uh, hopefully, he's got links as well if you want to check out which charities he's fundraising for. Yeah, I've been looking for that. Uh, one of them's the um, Kidney Foundation UK. Because he was uh, worked when he was the emergency care attendant. I guess he was working the renal uh, ward. Okay. Right. So that, that was, it says, you know, the, just the families and stuff like that, that had to go through everything. It was hard on them and it just it sort of stuck with them. So check that out. And, uh, yeah, Steve Chard. And like I say, ex Royal Navy sub veteran and, uh, former emergency care attendant, 60 years old and uh, retired. And this is what he's doing. I guess he doesn't have much of a family. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I don't honestly know. Um, but hey, you know what? If this is what you're going to do when you retire. Oh, it's awesome. It's like better than sitting in a chair doing nothing absolutely. watching football. Absolutely dying. Yeah. Yeah. Get out there and, and do it all. And uh, he's he's having a blast doing it. So, you know, more power to him. So I'll look forward to uh, following more on, on that uh, yeah. as it goes along. We'll probably do little updates as well. And what else? Oh. Oh, I was sitting there checking out some old Facebook groups because I was, I was weaving some stuff out. And a couple of them I, I saw got me thinking. <laughs> old-timey gear. Oh, yes. Old-timey gear. What old-timey gear do you think you still use? So how long ago was it was 50 years ago? Oh, that's not far back. Eh? That's like the 
that'd it's be like 60s, 70. late 60s. 69, yeah. 70. Yeah. Like, that's 50 years ago. Because <laughs> you're thinking, oh, 50 years, man, that was like, yeah. we're talking the 40s. No, yeah. you're not no, talking the 40s anymore, recent. right? Yeah. So what gear do you use from that era, from 50 years ago even? I'm not going back 100 years ago. I'm even thinking like 50 years ago. A lot of people make, a lot of people love the tradition of using old gear. They they go out of their way to uh, to acquire the canoes and the clothing and the, they, mm-hmm. they want to be period. Uh, you know, and we, we discussed a group of guys who, they did a Yukon trip and they used old time, this old time gear. Remember, it was about six months ago we did an yeah. episode on that. So for me, like I, I've got a, uh, I, I have a cedar, canvas cedar uh, strip canoe. Right. And uh, it's a uh, 1954 Peterborough uh, Canoe Company, so it's uh, it's it's quite the neat little craft that I have, and it's uh, needs to be refurbished. Surprisingly, like it's uh, <laughs> the 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 darn thing is uh, like <laughs> I don't even know what they cost in the first place, but it's going to cost me 2,500 bucks to refurbish it. Wow! Which obviously I'm not going to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You need a sugar daddy. Yes, <laughs> or a sugar mama. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, Wanigans. Ah, uh, yes. I know there's a couple people the that still use. on your back. Yeah, Wanigans. Just to get that old time camping feeling because they can yeah. do things better out of a box than people a barrel. People still use them. I, I yeah. saw, I, I remember a couple years back in Algonquin Park, I saw a, uh, a guide. To, he had, there's like six or seven canoes, two people per canoe. There's one guide. And uh, he was he was guiding this group into Algonquin, and uh, he had a wanigan. But can you portage a canoe and carry a wanigan at the same time? I doubt it. See, I, mean, I can throw my so heavy. Yeah, right? I can throw my big pack on. Yeah, you know my what hundred and ten liter pack on my back. Yeah, and the canoe, and not have to worry about it. And tump lines. Do you know anybody that still uses a tump line? No. Have you ever tried it? Yeah, it it's kills. It's hard on the neck. <laughs> yeah. It's murder. Well, like, if you're using a wanigan, you usually have one. Well, you have yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, it kill if you don't have those neck muscles. Yeah. It kills. Huh. Yeah, I'll get all the 50 feet and go, I'm done. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> Let's go back the way we came cuz I up, can still see that. I want to set the tent up right here. Yeah. So, that's my uh, like I say, I my mind goes on tangents. And I happen to see a few things, and that's 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 my question. Drop us a line on Facebook or go to our webpage and, and hit the contact one. What kind of gear do you use that was like that's from like say like, fifty years ago from yeah. the seventies? Uh, what what are you still using, or what do you enjoy using? Do you like using? That most people would look at you like, why are you like, why are you using that? Yeah, are you asking them? Old time gear or retro gear that looks like old time no, gear? No, actual old time gear. You want gear. old time I gear. I want real Original, stuff. classic. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, well, I mean, like a Wanigan. I mean, people are st- still making them. Yes. So, I guess that'd be a retro thing if it's a brand new one. But, no, an authentic type, you know, wood box <laughs> nailed together with iron spikes. Yeah. Old time gear from the seventies or something like that. Is there a lantern that you you still use that you enjoy? You, you know, like grandpa gave you or yep. whatever, and that sort of stuff. Drop us a line. I'd be interested to find out, and uh, if we get enough people uh, answering, we'll do a little segment on a, a little update segment on this. 
other than that, I think that's all we got. I think that's all we got. Let's do a quick run through though of events that are coming up. Ah, uh, yes. The event, what do we got? Events calendar. So paddling events and shows that are coming up in the, in the near future. So starting in February. So we have the Toronto Outdoor and Adventure Show. That's February 22nd through 24th at the International Centre. We know quite a few people that are speaking at this event. We do. Uh, so then there's the Wilderness and Canoe Symposium on the same weekend. That's the uh, February 22nd, 23rd in Toronto. One of these One of these groups need to move. I know they're double booking. Yeah, like it's it's like most people can commit to one day at one of these events, but not both days of the weekend. Yeah, three days of a weekend, right? Uh, coming up shortly after that in March is the Quiet Water Symposium, March second at the Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan, and we will be at this event. We have a table at the event. Yes, we have a booth or whatever. Uh, coming up shortly after that, which is it's, this is one of those events that I, one day I will make it to, <laughs> is uh, Canoe Copia. So that's March 8th through 10th at the Alliant Energy Center in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm thinking we're making a definite show there next year. And so, yeah, like uh, it'd be nice to do a uh, like a two-week or one-week trip and catch Quiet Water Symposium on the front end and Canoe Copia on the back end and then head back. Yeah, too bad they weren't like Closer, closer together. together. Like a well, couple of days. Yeah, they're, they are a week apart. It's yeah. uh, So you, I guess we go to the Quiet Water Symposium, come home, then go down to Canucopia. We can take or the we RV. Could, we could drive real slow. slow. <laughs> <laughs> so shortly after Canucopia, <laughs> also in March, so this is a special event that's close to our hearts. It's uh, Tuesday, March 19th. At Drums and Flats in Ajax is the Paddling Film Fest, which is uh, hosted by Paddling Adventures Radio. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, shortly after that uh, is uh, Ontario Backcountry Canoe Symposium, April 13th at the Theatre of the Arts at the University of Waterloo. And we have a table at that, and we're also a uh, sponsor of that. Yes. So, yeah, we get around, apparently. We are starting to. We are starting to get around. Life is getting busy. It is. Alrighty, so hopefully we'll see uh, people at those events. I know we'll be walking around the Toronto Outdoor Adventure Show, and uh, we are at the Coon, uh, the Quiet Water Symposium and the Ontario Backcountry Canoe Symposium. And hey, we're at the film festival too. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're going to host it, just let somebody else take care of it. So, <laughs> I'm busy that night, I'm getting a haircut. So uh, that's about all we have this week. So if you want to find out more about us... You can check us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can listen to all our podcasts, past and current, uh, streaming or downloadable on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Player FM. And we've got some stuff up on YouTube as well. So check all that out. And if you have any questions, our... Email and contact and Facebook is open 24-7. Drop us a line. <laughs> we do hear, actually we heard from people uh, this week in uh, Ohio and uh, we're always, yeah, we're always getting people sending us little quick it's, emails and stuff like that. It's super nice cool. when we hear back from people who listen to the show. It's It reaffirms that we're doing something right. Yeah, somebody stumbled upon it and said, hey, yeah. I like your stuff. And <laughs> you're not my mom, so <laughs> it's more than my mom listened. <laughs> So I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Spest. We'll see you next time.